We're going to open up today to everyone's favorite book in the Bible. It's going to go to Numbers chapter 6. <laughs> now, before I get into this, I'm going to say something that most of you know, but I'm going to say it anyway. When Jesus came, he fulfilled the law. And he didn't just do that by living a perfect life and, fu- and fulfilling it by living up to the law completely. He also fulfilled everything pointing to him in the law and the prophets. So he was the final atoning sacrifice. He was, you know, all the imagery in the temple, all of it was pointing to Jesus and he fulfilled it all. So when we have faith in him, that's how we are right with God. It's no longer about religious rights and doing this and not doing that. It's now about having faith in Jesus. So I say that because a lot of people want to say like, yeah, faith in Jesus, get rid of the Old Testament. No, 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 no. It's, it's still scripture. It's still the Bible and we still need to look at it. But when we do, there are spiritual truths that we pull from it. So that's what we're going to do a little bit today. I'm going to be spending some time in the Old Testament. Um, and we're going to start in Numbers chapter 6 and verse 1. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When either a man or a woman consecrates an offering to take the vow of the Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and similar drink. He shall neither drink vinegar made from wine nor vinegar made from similar drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice nor eat fresh grapes or raisins. So, this vow of the Nazarite was a promise to God. Some people did it for a certain amount of days, a certain amount of years. Some people did it as a lifestyle. They lived a life of a Nazarite. And we see here that they're supposed to not only abstain from alcoholic drinks, but anything that alcohol is made from. Don't even touch, don't even eat uh, grape juice or grapes or raisins. And it goes on in verse 4. All the days of uh, his separation, he shall eat nothing that is produced by the grapevine from seed to skin. Don't even go near something produced from the grapevine. So we're going to look at these, uh, a couple more rules here for it when you take this vow of the Nazarite. Uh, verse 5 says, all the days of the vow, his separation, no razor shall come upon his head until the days are fulfilled for which he separated himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. Then he shall let the locks of his hair, of his head, grow. So, rule number two, don't cut your hair, don't cut your beard. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. Here's rule number three. He shall not make himself unclean even for his father or his mother or his brother or his sister when they die because his separation to God is on his head. So the spiritual truth we're going to pull from this is God is the most important thing here on earth. And when you make a promise to him, it's more important than even your loved ones. It's more important than anything on this earth. And we need to remember that truth. He goes on to say, in verse 8, All the days of his separation he shall be holy to the Lord. And if anyone dies very suddenly beside him, and he defiles his consecrated head, he shall shave his head on on the day of his cleansing. On the seventh day he shall shave it. So basically you have to start the vow over. Uh, If you, if somebody, you 
didn't know they were going to die. They die suddenly. Oh, got to start all over again. Uh, and then it says, then on the eighth day, he shall bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons to the priest to the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And the priest shall offer one as a sin offering. He sinned, even though it was an accident. Suddenly somebody died. And the other as a burnt offering to make atonement for him because he sinned in regard to the corpse and he shall sanctify his head that same day. So the idea is, even if it's an accidental sin, what we need to take the spiritual truth here is, even if it's something so small, somebody died suddenly next to this Nazarite who made the vow that he's not going to be next to anybody dead. What atonement is, is something has to die because you're deserving of death. Even if it's an accidental sin, we are so apart, we are so unholy that we are deserving of death for such a small thing. So why are we talking about the Nazarite? Well, some of you may have guessed it already. Let's go to Judges chapter 13. Judges 13 and verse 2. It says, Now there's a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now, therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hand of the Philistines. So Israel is in captivity to the Philistines now, and God makes this prophecy and promise to, to this barren woman. You're going to have a son, and he's going to be the beginning of the end of your captivity. Skipping to uh, verse 24 now in the same chapter. It says, So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Manea Dan, between Zorah and Ashtol. So we're going to look at the life of Samson today. And often when we go through life, I've been asked a few times, and maybe you've asked this question yourself, where's the line, right? Where's the line of sin? And we can ask this when it comes to alcohol, right? Like, Jesus drank wine. It's not a sin. But the Bible very clearly says that the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. So where's the line? Where's the line of that sin? This can also be a question that young people or single people ask when they're in a romantic relationship, right? Where's the line between kissing my girlfriend and crossing the line into sexual immorality? Where's that line? So the title of today's sermon is God's Gracious Line. And we're going to look at nine questions that Samson didn't ask that we should. The first question that Samson doesn't seem to have asked that we should ask ourselves is, God, how do you want me to fulfill your calling on my life? Okay, Samson knows his calling. Be a Nazarite. He knows exactly where the line is, right? And you're going to be the beginning of freedom for the Israelites. So when I'm asked this question, where's the line of sin? My first answer, where I start is, if you're asking where the line is, you're probably too close to it. Or you're trying to get too close to it. Why do you need to know exactly where the line is? 
Samson knows exactly where the line is, and we're going to learn that today. And he pushes his limits, and he tries to get too close to that line, and it gets his demise. As we all know, I'm sure we've heard the story of Samson. And uh, this is a story that we grew up with in Sunday school, but when you really get into it, it's really not for kids. There's, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in here. Um, how does God want me to fulfill the calling for my life? A lot of time we ask, what's our calling? Samson knows it. He knows exactly what God wants him to do. But he doesn't ask the question, how do you want me to fulfill that calling? He kind of lives a life of a hedonist. He does whatever he wants. He does whatever he pleases him. And he just gets himself into a ton of trouble. So in Judges 14 now, verse 1 says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. So he went and told his father and mother, saying, I've seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Really respecting his parents here. <clears throat> then his, uh, his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among the, my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Now, this was typically how it was with the Israelites. Don't intermarry. Don't go to the Philistines. Don't go to the, the local tribes because they're going to get you into all kinds of mess. And so it, it makes sense that his parents are like, uh, what are you doing? But Samson says, get her for me for she pleases me well. But his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. Now, Sometimes we try and micromanage our friends or we try and micromanage our kids and we try and say, hey, like, don't do that. Like, you're not supposed to do that. And sometimes God has certain paths that he's taking people down for a specific reason. So don't try and micromanage God. And sometimes there comes a point where, and, and Samson parents uh, clearly does this, kind of just says, all right, God, we don't know what you're doing, but okay. And they go along with it. Verse 5 says, so Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother, and came to the vineyards of Timnah. Now, this isn't biblical, but uh, in Jewish tradition for a Nazarite, there was a saying that said, let the Nazarite go around a vineyard, but let him not approach it. And the idea for a Nazarite is, don't even put yourself in the situation where you might make yourself unclean. Go around the vineyard, don't even approach it. Why, you know, we need to avoid the... Uh, appearance of evil, and we also don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we're going to be defiled, or where we're going to slip and fall. So Samson, as a Nazarite, shouldn't even be approaching a vineyard, but he does. And what we're going to see is uh, something that C.S. Lewis calls a gentle slope. A lot of people talk about, oh, can I lose my salvation? Uh, it's not like, oh man, like, where's my keys? Where's that faith I once had in God? We, you don't just lose it, but C.S. Lewis calls it a gentle slope. It's a distraction. It's a decision. And you start going down this gentle slope, and soon you're entering into a place of unbelief. We don't earn our salvation. We get salvation. We enter into God's grace by having faith. If we have no more faith, where did that salvation go? So don't be like Samson. Don't follow that gentle slope into dangerous territory. Because he starts to justify, well, you know, I'm not eating the thing, right? I'm just getting close to it. I'm getting close to that line, not crossing it. Continues in the uh, second half of 
verse 5 here. It says, uh, Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. And apparently there's some separation because his, his parents don't know what happened next, so they probably ran. He stood against it. And it says, the, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Now, I've been teaching the college and career group on Wednesday nights about spiritual gifts. We've been looking at the lists in the New Testament and speaking about each uh, spiritual gift. This is not one I've talked about, but this is the spiritual gift of supernatural strength. And, and that's Samson's spiritual gift here. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat. I've never seen somebody tear apart a young goat. That seems hard, but he did it to a lion, which is, seems is just inc incredibly crazy. It says, though he had nothing in his hand, but he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Question two, that Samson didn't ask himself, that we should uh, ask ourselves. To whom are we accountable? Right? Why isn't Samson telling his, his father and mother? Because oh, he's a Nazarite, and they're going to make him go to the temple and bring two pigeons and do the whole thing, start his whole vow over. And he's like, I'm not going to tell him. Samson makes himself accountable to his parents. He doesn't make himself accountable to God. King David was called a man after God's own heart, and he failed miserably. <laughs> And he sinned against a lot of people. He, he committed adultery with another man's wife. He had that, that husband killed. He, he let his country down. He let a lot of people down. But when he's approached by God's prophet, he repents. And that's why he's a man after God's own heart. He repents of what he's done wrong. And in his repentance, we, we read about it in Psalms 51, he says, against you, he's speaking to God, against you alone have I sinned, he says. That's a strange comment. You sinned against a lot of people. Why are you saying against you alone have I sinned? Because David understood that he's accountable to God. The college professors today are right. If there's no God, there is no absolute truth. There is no right and wrong. But there is a God, so there is absolute truth. There is right and wrong. And we're accountable to God. And we're not accountable to each other. Yes, we need to help each other stay accountable to God, but we don't, he's like, hiding his sins as if God doesn't see him. He's not taking it seriously. He's not making himself accountable to God, but he says, oh, I'm not going to tell my parents because what they don't know won't hurt him, right? And Samson begins to break his vow to God here. He's killed the lion. Don't go near anything dead. Now he can say, well, that's talking about humans. I killed the lion. It's not a human. Where's that lion, right? So he's justifying it a little bit. And sometimes we can do that. And what we're going to see is he's going to just jump right over the line in a lot of ways here. But what he does and what we can do in our lives is say, well, I've already sinned. I've already crossed that line. I'm just going to go for it. And this is, a, this is a lie from Satan that he tells us. You've already crossed the line. You may as well just go for it. Cross it over and over and over again. Go farther. Go farther down that gentle slope. That's what Satan wants us to do. And we start to test our boundaries. Well, we've crossed it here. Maybe I'll cross it a little further. We need to flee from sin. We need to resist the devil so that he will flee from us and not be like Samson who just continues down that gentle slope. After some time in verse 8, sorry, in verse 7, he uh, spent some time with the woman he's about to marry. 
and she pleased him. And then uh, he's going back to her. He turned aside uh, to see the carcass of the lion. This brings us to uh, our next question. Who gets the glory in your life? Is it you or is it God? Why is Samson turning to see this lion that he ripped apart? Because he's like, I'm Samson. Oh, I'm so awesome. I did that with my bare hands. I'm amazing. Glorify me. That's Samson's attitude. He is getting proud of himself. Oh, I'm going to go look at, oh, man, look what I did. But what did we read? That it was the spirit of the Lord that came upon him and that gave him that strength. It was God who should be getting the glory. He shouldn't even be going next to the dead body. Furthermore, he shouldn't be in the vineyard. He's back in the vineyard. He's back at a carcass. And it goes on to say here, Behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. So, he's in a vineyard, which he shouldn't be in, next to a carcass that he shouldn't be next to, touching a carcass he shouldn't be touching. And now he's eating honey from bees who live in a vineyard. He's now definitely crossed the line. He ate something produced from the grapevine. So he's totally crossed the line at this point. He has eaten something from the grapevine, he's touched the carcass, and he just doesn't even care at this point. And he says, it says, when he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them. And they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of a lion. Now, yes, he's still being accountable to them, but in Leviticus, it tells us that no Jew is supposed to touch the carcass of a lion. There's a specific vow for a, a Nazarite, don't touch anything dead. This is no Jewish person should touch the dead body of a lion. So he's now defiling his parents by giving them honey from the carcass of a lion. And so this brings us to our next question. Do you honor your elders and parents even when they don't know about it? Do you protect the honor? Do you protect the integrity of your elders? Samson doesn't. He defiles them and then doesn't tell them. Well, they don't know. And we are called to pray for our leaders. We are called to be in submission to our pastors and those who are set above us, as it says in the Bible, and not to talk bad about them, not to disregard them, and not to throw them under the bus at any point, even when they don't know about it. Verse 10, it says, so his father went down to the woman, and Samson gave a feast there, for young men used to do so. Now, this is a curious passage, but when you look at the original text, you see that this word for feast here, it's actually the Hebrew word mishta, and it's not a feast of food. It's a, it's a feast of drink. It's a drinking party. It's a bachelor party. And he is throwing a debaucherous drinking party with a bunch of Philistines, and here again we see he has said, well, I crossed the line already. Let's just go for it. This is fun. Not accountable to God not caring about his, his uh, promise to God, but just partaking in a debaucherous drinking party. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story for time's sake, but uh, he ends up marrying this woman. He gives a riddle to the people at the wedding. She kind of 
betrays him and tells people about the riddle so they solve it. He gets mad at her. He leaves her for a while. We don't know how long he leaves for, but it's long enough to where her husband or, or her father, excuse me, says, your husband's not coming back. So he gives her to another man. In fact, it's a, his best man in the wedding. And he feels totally betrayed and he starts to take vengeance for himself and he starts to kill Philistines. He's then arrested and during that arrest, he takes the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men with that jawbone. And through all of this, through his entire life, we see a total disregard for God's calling on his life. So the fifth question, do we regard God's calling on our lives as the most important thing on earth? Do we say, God's got a job for me and that should be my focus? That, like, yes, of course, we have a job, we have a family, we have things that we need to do, but the thing that God has for us to do is the most important. That's how we need to live our lives. And Samson doesn't do that. Now, God made a promise to Samson's mother that there would be a purpose fulfilled in Samson. God never breaks his promise. He never breaks his word. So he fulfills that promise through Samson, even though Samson is against it the entire time. God continues to, okay, well, this is going to be how we do it then. Samson could have lived a totally different life and accomplished God's goal, but instead he was opposed to God and went down the wrong path, and God had to do it a different way. So do we regard God's calling for our life? Or do we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I got a lot of stuff going on. And live how we want to live. Samson then meets a woman. He falls in love with her in uh, Judges chapter 16. And I used to read this story or, or hear this story as a kid and think, man, like how stupid is Sam Samson? Like, he tries, she tries to get him to tell her his secret. He lies to her, and then a bunch of guys jump out, and Samson kills him, and then the, she comes to him, and he does it again, and then he ends up like telling the secret. But when you read the story, you actually see that the, the men surround him, but they never jump out. It doesn't say, they jumped out, and Samson killed them, and then he went back to Delilah. No, they're, they're lying in wait, because they've seen what Samson can do. They are waiting in surrounding, waiting for the, the signal to come in and take him. But as we see here, Delilah in verse 6, she's trying to get him to tell his secret. And this goes on for much of the chapter. She's really laying it on thick. And she's nagging him. And she's going on about it. And finally he breaks down. But... What we see here is that he's joking. It's, it's a lover's joke. Oh, you don't trust me. You're not telling me your secrets. And we see them joking around about it. And Samson doesn't even notice that he's joking around uh, and putting in danger his relationship with God. She's messing with him and trying, oh, you don't trust me. And he's just like, okay, well, finally, I'll tell you. I'll tell you this thing. So our sixth question is, are we laughing at things that are opposed to God? Sometimes we partake in things or laugh at things that are offensive and even opposed to God. So we need to 
be careful not to laugh ourselves right into hell, to use a, a Daveism. Uh, in Romans 14, it says, happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. Are we approving of things that are opposed to God? And sometimes we don't know, right? And so this brings us to our seventh question. God, please, can you renew my mind? Can you renew my conscience? Because in, in 1 Timothy, it talks about believers searing their conscience with a hot iron. And God can, can renew that, and he can bring that conscience back so our conscience can be our guide as it should be. Don't be like Samson and risk your relationship with God for anything in this world, because the Bible says if you love this world, you hate God. We should be willing to give up everything for him. Samson knew exactly where the line was in his life, and that line he knew would uh, separate him from the presence of God. In verse 17, Judges 16, 17, then he told her, all his heart and said to her, no razor has ever come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaven, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Again, as a kid, I was like, he gets his strength from his hair? Like, that doesn't make sense. But when we study it, we realize he had made a promise to God, and he knows I have crossed every line, and God's still being gracious. When we read in Numbers, even an accidental being around a dead body was sin enough for death. There had to be an atoning sacrifice to cleanse you of that sin. So God didn't Strike him down, though. God's line is very gracious. He continues to be gracious with Samson up until this point, and Samson knows this is it. This is the line. This is the exact line where if I cross that, I am now totally opposed to God. In verse 20, it says, she kind of lulls him to sleep and cuts his hair, and then she says, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he, thinking it's still a game, he wakes up from his sleep and said, I will go out as before at other times and shake myself free. We see the pride of of Samson here. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Question eight. Has God departed from us? Have we crossed the line? You don't have to turn there, but I'm going to go to Proverbs 18. Verse 12 says, Before destruction, the heart of man is haughty, and before honor is humility. And we see this in the life of Samson, him being proud. I am Samson. I am strong. It's me glorifying himself. And he does it. He lives this hedonistic life until he crosses every line that God, is, that, that God has set up clearly. But in verse 28, we see Samson in his most humble state. They arrest him, they torture him, and they're in this sort of Colosseum-type place. And then Samson called to the Lord, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me. I pray just this once, as if God hadn't been faithful the entire time. O God, that I may 
with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines. For what? For the Israelites being captured? For, for God's purposes? No, for my two eyes. <laughs> Samson's still a little selfish. He's not perfect, but he's humble. And, and God hears his cry. And God fulfills his purpose in Samson when Samson gets to that humble state. So when we look at the life of Samson, he's sinning a lot, <laughs> right? And sin is always opposed to God. And we shouldn't say, oh, like, it was God's will that he would sin. No, he lived a life of sin, and God fulfilled his purpose in him, even though those sins were present. God continues to work even in our blunders. We know that God works all things together for good, right? He's working even through our failures and through our blunders. So the question in our life shouldn't be, where is the line? You know? Because real faith doesn't ask a question like that. Instead, we should be asking our, our ninth question, is what I'm doing pleasing to God? Paul tells us that all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful, right? So am I pleasing God in what I'm doing? Not how close can I get before I'm sinning? <laughs> that's not a, a question of a faithful man. That's, that's a question of someone who's pushing the line. We should say, God, how do you want me to fulfill the purpose in my life? Am I being pleasing to you in what I'm doing? So today, uh, if there's something that you've been failing at, or there's a sin that you've been making excuses for, or a line that you've been pushing, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Repent, which is to turn from your sin and run to God, and he will lift you up. Don't sell yourself short and say, well, I'm already a failure. This is what I deserve. I deserve punishment. I deserve to keep sinning. I deserve judgment. You're selling yourself short at that point. Instead, say, I'm done with this, and turn to Jesus and let him cleanse you. Flee from sin and run to God. Because as 1 John says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Everyone who has faith in Jesus is a child of God. And if you're that child of God, you cannot continue in sin. I know it's a heavy sermon. But I really felt God put that on my heart. So we're going to close in prayer. And if you do have anything that you want to talk about or pray about, the elders are available, Dixon and Curtis. Uh, you can grab me. But right now we're going to close in prayer. We're going to close in a song. And we're going to enjoy our, our Sunday to the glory of God. God, we love you and we praise you. And I pray that we will take these examples set in your word in the life of Samson and God, that we will apply them to ourselves and that we will ask these tough questions introspectively, that we can grow closer to you. And God, help us to grow in our faith. Help us to rest in you and to let you do your work in us, not in our opposition to you, God, but help us to be humble and follow you the way that you want us to follow you. We love you, Jesus, and we pray that you just bless uh, this long weekend. Uh, I pray that you will be with us, keep us safe, and help us to be glorifying to you in everything we do and say and think. In Jesus' name, amen.